Here we are. Here First we are. Podcast. I guess so. This yeah. is that a little this bit of a ad living. This is crazy. We do, <laughs> as it turns out, have a lot of time. On our hands. A lot of time on our hands. A lot of time on our hands. Uh, mm-hmm. the coronavirus has stepped in, but I should start out by saying, my name is Mitchell Thompson, and I'm an aspiring watchmaker. My name is Kyle Kenyon, and I am also an aspiring watchmaker. Longtime watch collectors, and we decided yeah. that it's a great time since we have so much of it to do a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Share our experiences, our stories, our feelings, perspectives, whether or not you want to hear that. I guess you could. Our many emotions. Your many emotions. The meticulous work of daily watchmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, welcome, and uh, we hope that this becomes a really enjoyable show, and I think it will with our award-winning personality. (laughs) Right, right, right. I think... We're the most humble people you'll ever meet. Oh my god, there's a (laughs) a contest on humility. (laughs) We would be winning so much. Mmm, cheers. Cheers and cheers indeed. Cheers indeed. Ah, celebration. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, here we are, Mm -hmm. and the coronavirus is rampant. Upon us. COVID-19. COVID-19. This is Friday, March 20th. Were the other 18 not good enough? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened to to the other 18. But COVID-19. Those are all prototypes. Mm Mm-hmm. Those didn't get enough people sick. (sighs) So, yeah, it's uh, been really interesting here. We're in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, recording at mm-hmm. uh, my apartment. and um, On the 20th? Yeah, here we the are. The year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> we were in school later than most people, about a week before most of the country had shut down for COVID-19. But right. we kept going. Yeah. Uh, Rolex Corporate had shut down Monday, <laughs> right. and we were still but going. <laughs> Rolex USA, Rusa. <laughs> Kept going, and uh, we were in class <clears throat> Wednesday. Yeah, at eleven. It wasn't even a "don't come in tomorrow." Like while we were home, it was, it was a like leave now. It's like sort of we've situation. got some boxes, <laughs> and you're moving your out. <laughs> pack your shit, and go home. So we moved out, and we are now <laughs> homebound. Homebound for the most part. Doing Skype lessons, history of watchmaking, a lot of great things. Brands. We can even talk about the websites as well, because we need there needs to be some attention to that as well. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it's part of the it's part of the experience. It's all part of the experience, right? So, what brings someone to a podcast like ours? Well, <clears throat> we are interested in talking about all things watches, and mm-hmm. from our background, we have an intimate understanding of the mechanics. But we also appreciate the brands as collectors. What pulled us into this? To begin with, and oh, yeah, the emotions. Uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of oh, culture yeah. behind this. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a cultural podcast. Aesthetics, how's it make you feel? Mm-hmm. This is all encompassing. <clears throat> so, Kyle, what uh, what got you into watchmaking? So, I had during my so after high school because I did I got into it late actually. I'm I'm older than anybody else in the class by I don't know ancient <laughs> <laughs> by many. I, <laughs> By so many, Kyle, what was the first plague like? And, many, many eons. <laughs> yeah, this will blow over. It'll be fine. We'll just we'll burn. You know, it doesn't last. We'll be. It's, it's fine. This will all blow over very soon. It'll be fine. A little culling of the herd, so to speak. Uh, so I had uh, when I was in college. <clears throat> uh, at some point, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I ended up getting into radiology. Got accepted to uh, Park Nicolette. That's in Minneapolis. Cool place, nice hospital and all that. There were a couple other schools where you would, they would do all the, <clears throat> the testing or like they would teach you in 
a fake environment, but this was in a hospital. So it was like real people, real patients, real machines and all that. So it was kind of like, it was a place to go. But this is 2008, 2009, the housing crisis. <laughs> apropos. Or at least the... You know, crisis seems familiar. Crisis upon days. us yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but um, so the program was shut down. I got a call. It was the weekend before I was supposed to start. The director calls me and it, the, you know, it was shut down. So there it was. So I found myself with some time. I was already... For money, I was traveling with a few gentlemen that would buy uh, gold and coins and jewelry and silver and pins and all kinds, all kinds of stuff, watches and all that. And um, so, in finding out what I wanted, or at least in, in trying to be a better buyer, like watches, you know, learn about them and all that. So I would see a bunch of old American pocket watches that would come in, especially like railroad grade. Was you know, those were the those were the good ones. Shout out to Hamilton, especially exactly being, uh, Lancaster, not yeah. Lancaster. Oh yeah, the the locals. We've been uh, <laughs> cultured. It's Lancaster here, but exactly. the rest of the world knows it is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's about. An hour and a half, two hours west of Philadelphia. Yeah. But this is the heart of American watchmaking, and in part why uh, there's a watchmaking school here. Yeah. Yeah, this was kind of <clears throat> little Switzerland, yes. <laughs> I guess. And I and I was with my wife. We were walking by, and I may have told you this already, but it just this kind of dawned on me walking past uh, the Hamilton building. It's like, you know, at some point, this was probably the most important place in the U.S. when it came to watchmaking. Absolutely. The railroads yeah. depended on it. Yeah. The precision yeah. made sure that trains didn't collide, yeah. let alone make it to the stations right. on time. Ball Watch was really, it was with that, I think it was somebody, Ball was the last name, was actually, I think it was the person that was uh, approached by the transportation body, government body, whatever, to like, hey, let's create a standard. Shit's going down. It's bad. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I got into that and just doing that, researching what was good, what was what wasn't good. I, I I just I caught the bug then and there. It was, you know, people are bringing these pocket watches and they haven't. <clears throat> and to clarify, we mean the watchmaking bug, not You're, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was coughing a lot. We'll have like to change fluent. our euphemism. Just like, <laughs> right, yeah, right, I caught right. the bug. Which uh, one? Kyle? Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Gulp. Uh, and that's how I got into it. <clears throat> and it was, you know, you'd open these things up and they were gorgeous. And it was also really interesting too because a lot of these you would see made in Lancaster or Illinois or whatever. And person my age, you know, people like our age, uh, I'm of course older as, as previously mentioned, the <laughs> aforementioned ancientness about my advanced age. Um, but seeing stuff made in the U.S. was just, it, you know, that was a, that was a time uh, gone by for us. And seeing that again and seeing some like American ingenuity or at least beauty and science and because these were tools, but they still made them gorgeously. And so it was just a really interesting uh, blend of, of certain things. Um, and I just had been interested. I, I, the, the interest never went away. So I'd had some watches, I actually collected LED watches for a while, the old, the old ones. And um, finally, it basically... Uh, became appropriate in life to go back to school and long story short, well, it's already entirely too long to be short, but, um, got into watchmaking, found Lidditz, applied and got in and here I am. Here you are. Here I am. Meeting you. Yes. Mitch. We met here. We met at interview a year ago this month. We did. We were in the same, we, (laughs) we were in the same, so it was a group of four of us and it was like a whole eight hour thing. Mitch and I were part of that group. We had two other gentlemen that were there who were also 
who had also been accepted and are, they're, I don't know. The whole group made it. We picked the right group. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> we picked yeah. the right group to be in The first interview. day that we could have interviews, we grabbed it. We're like, we, we want on. this. Let's we were the first that. group interviewed and we are, we're here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Mitch. It's amazing. You, how did you get into watches? Let me know. How watchmaking is really an amazing thing, but watches are even more encompassing than just the making of them and the repair of them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Watches for me started at a young age, specifically in second grade. My mother took me back to school shopping, and mm. she mm. insisted I learn to tell the time, quote-unquote, the right way, mm. which meant with hands, analog, no digital. <laughs> right, way. right. Yeah, yeah. She didn't want me to be one of those kids who only had those a digital are... watch and Velcro shoes. I tied my shoelaces, <laughs> and I learned I what the hands meant. the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, bunny ears, right? You know, you chase the rabbit and you tie the loop. And anyway, oh, I learned to right, tie my right, shoes. Right, right, So from then on, I always wore a watch. And I remember my first watch was a Timex with a lightning bolt second hand. And I used to get in trouble in class because I was sitting there watching the second hand tick instead of paying attention. <laughs> And it just, a watch you showed me recently too. Yes, so this is deep yes. purples. I mean, totally nineties. Totally nineties looking. <laughs> oh elastic God, band, Kids version. It was like a super bright neon yellow yes. seconds hand, right? Yes. Huge. This thing. It was. I like, can find a link. I'll attach it to the bottom of the podcast. Yeah. Show oh, it was my, great. It was fantastic. My first watch was. Yeah. But I wore that, and from there I was all things watches. The most interesting part of going back to school for me was the new watch I get every fall and we go over <laughs> to the case in Kmart or Walmart or wherever we were right, wherever yeah. Kmart's we were. kind of a shell yeah, of its former back when Kmart was a thing yeah that's uh, a shell of, a, <laughs> of its former self now I used to yeah get a watch each year and um, from then on I was hooked it actually led me to what became another large part of my life which were my French studies Oh. Because mm-hmm. so I learned more about watches and trying to understand mm-hmm. why some were more expensive than others and why I saw certain brands, notably Rolex, more than others. Of course. Uh, you, can't, you can't look about anything with watches. Uh, exactly, yeah, without, without the being elephant inundated. in the room, which is Rolex. Right, appropriately <laughs> so. And uh, I wanted to understand these brands more intimately, and that led to me uh, learning French. And uh, my French studies started in middle school, and I went through the university as a French major studying middle French. Middle school? You could start? Started in middle school. I don't know. If, I think for us, it might have just been high school. Or yeah, we could choose school. a language, and in middle school, I chose French, and I stayed with it all through uh, required school. And then when I got to the university, I went to Michigan mm-hmm. State, mm-hmm. Uh, go Spartans <laughs> University, mm-hmm. uh, for my French major. Uh, but I didn't ever complete it. I <laughs> I am not a degree holding individual as of now. Me neither. I left college in the middle of my studies <laughs> because I got. Did you leave it mid semester? In the middle of everything, no. I left. I finished the semester, but I left uh, after first semester of my sophomore year oh. to work for Shinola. Uh, mm. Shinola Detroit uh, mm-hmm. was watch brand uh, in Michigan. I'm a Midwestern native, Michigander at heart, and I uh, left East Lansing to work in Detroit as a repair technician. I interviewed and um, was able to tell myself enough uh, (laughs) (laughs) that they they took a chance on me and hired me, and I worked there for two years. Um, But I should back up a bit and explain that nearing the end of high school, 
I knew watchmaking was for me. And there's limited schools in the U.S. for that. Mm. I considered going abroad, but I wanted to look domestically first. And I applied to the available watchmaking schools here in the U.S. I interviewed only with one, uh, and I was accepted by no one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, well, maybe just now wasn't my time. Right, there's no stopping this that, guy. And uh, that I would reapply when the time you was You were going to be a watchmaker. I, I was going right. to be a watchmaker. Right. So I left uh, that path to then work and go to school part-time at a community college studying business um, and French and then continued on for the language program at Michigan State mm. when watches found me again. Mm. It was actually um, an extra credit assignment found its way to me from my PR teacher, Professor Colt, Michigan State. Shout out to him for all this. Um, <laughs> he offered us, we went in and updated our LinkedIn profiles, some extra credit. And I actually never turned in that extra credit. I'll have to reach out to him, see if he'll accept it <laughs> a few years later. <laughs> but uh, instead, I got that job at Chinola. I worked there for two, two years, and I had the opportunity to reapply to watchmaking school. And I did, and uh, was fortunately then accepted. And it was really crazy finding out I was accepted, because when I got the call saying... I was about to attend this school. I was in Paris uh, for the first time. Oh, so, you were? Yeah. Oh, so my the whole, God. <laughs> the whole French and watches and all that good It was just stuff all coming all together. came together. It was just, and oh, my God, it rains, it pours, yeah. as, uh, as, as they say. So that's my background, and um, I, work, uh, I work as a consultant, but a watch collector passionately and a watchmaker, <laughs> a watchmaking student currently. But at the end of my graduation, I hope, yes, to continue in watchmaking, but... Mm-hmm expand my horizons to the greater amazing world of watch culture and that starts here oh yeah absolutely yeah that was you know the more i was really so when i first got into watches i was really interested i'm not sure if i knew that watchmaking was right for me from the very beginning i really appreciated it because it wasn't when i was getting into watches and everything um, it wasn't long before I found like the likes of like Langa and like German watchmaking and the independence, the ones that were making it by hand, which I think a lo- for a lot of people they get into uh, because as any of us get into something, we, we find the, the, the uppermost echelon of, of what's going on. Absolutely. But it wasn't really, I was interested for 10 years before this happened and I had tried other things, you know, like, and my wife and I had talked you know, once we got ourselves established, what do we want to go back to? Both of us want to go back to school and earn a degree or, or something. We want to further our... We never want to, like... Education's never finished. Exactly. We always, want to, we always want to progress somehow. But it wasn't... It really, it was during those 10 years that I found out why watchmaking checks all of those box, boxes for me. Because it's, you know, it's, it's creation. It's really interesting that it's all about precision. Uh, it's artistic. It's creative. It's expressive. Um, it also involves learning skills. It's not just something that you have to know. You have to be able to actually do it. Like it's kind of. It's not just a knowledge competency. It's also a physical element. Yeah, and sometimes a little punishing too. Yes. Like, and it's. It can be uh, what some might view as tedious because there are no. And we can get into this later, but that there are no real it. secrets. <laughs> it's just doing it and doing it correctly. Uh, then I just time. learned that I checked all these boxes. It just it was so appropriate for everything that I enjoyed and and from at, until that point felt like that I um, honed 
you know, what did, what did I, uh, um, what kind of skills and all that did I practice and become really good at, or at least somewhat talented at, or, or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it was just, it, I haven't been swayed since because I didn't, and you might've gone through this as well, or at least my, my wife and I was just kind of like, listen, I know this is something that you want to do, but it's totally okay if you get into it and you realize it's not for you. There's no, there's no other way to know. Right. Exactly. There, and, and any of those, any of you, any of those who are interested in may, possibly getting into watchmaking and everything, we can, we could probably get more into that at some point, but. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You're not going to know unless you do it. Unless you do it, and especially and particularly where we are, which um, uh, has an emphasis on more traditional ways of doing it. Not necessarily that we're going to be doing it in the future, but as practice of like dexterity and patience and everything. Um, But I haven't been swayed one iota, whatever infinitesimal amount. It's only increased my passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something glorifying in how difficult it can be. Oh. God. And <laughs> the frustration. Uh, the frustration is glorious, honestly. It's, oh, especially when you get pat. Oh. For those who do yoga, it's that appreciation you have for knowing how difficult. Whoops. Whoop. <laughs> how difficult certain poses can be, and holding those mm-hmm. takes everything inside you to not break. And do it gracefully. And do it gracefully, and yeah. keep breathing. And it's the same oh, idea yeah. in watchmaking. Yeah. It's such a mental strength. Uh, to be able to pull some of this off, and that's something I appreciate uh, about it, is it makes you reach deeper into yourself. Yeah. And I think that's something beautiful, and every yeah. profession should do that. You, If you're in a profession that doesn't make you push yourself or make you feel fulfilled, it's not the right profession. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, watchmaking is fulfilling. It is. <laughs> and incredibly. it's incredibly satisfying after all the time and effort you've put in to see what you've achieved. Yeah. And to see a tangible, beautiful piece of art yeah. that's functional mm. and scientific and right. exact. Yes. Uh, and there's an old world, and also for me, there's an old world romanticism that, uh, that absolutely. about it. Like I love that kind of... For me, I'm a person who can take change very well, and I'm fine same. with tumultuous times, <clears throat> but my stability is knowing that the watch is perfect with everything else that isn't perfect in the world, I can make one thing perfect. Yeah. It's... <laughs> and that's where I channel my obsessive compulsive <laughs> tendencies is into right. the watches. It's frustrating. I mean, when you're wrestling with a hairspring to get your delta under a certain amount <laughs> and you're doing it for hours and you finally get there, it is just, oh my God, the endorphins are, you know, it's amazing. Just all of what's going it's on amazing. chemically in the brain, I'm sure is. I'm sure I'm lighting up. <clears throat> you know, you're lighting up when that happens. It's, it's pretty amazing. I really encourage anyone to look further into watchmaking, whether you be a beginning collector, whether you be a seasoned collector, but maybe you don't delve much into the mechanics of the watches, you're aesthetically motivated or artistically motivated, to really understand the entire picture. It's such a collaboration of the sciences, mm-hmm. of the art, of the physics. It is such an amazing cultural representation of human achievement, and that's as good as it gets. Yeah, there was um, there was this lecture that I saw that um, it it talked about that as far as horology, the you know study keeping of, time, study keep, of, time of, keep, of timekeeping, and timekeeping devices. Right, is so <laughs> is so ingrained 
and history was so ingrained in everything, astronomy and and religion and and all of that, the sciences and the aesthetics and and all of that, that it's just, it just makes me think of just how, how, how this as a practice has had an effect on so many other things. What is it? One of our, I think one of our instructors, I can't remember which one said something, they know a machinist or an engineer or something like that, that attributes, that I guess knows a lot about watches probably because he knows this instructor, but that attributes a lot of advancements in technology uh, based out of concepts and watchmaking, you know, as far as gear reduction ratios, um, just a lot of things like that. They were born out of experimented first in watchmaking, but then implemented everywhere. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Cause I mean, you have to take, yeah, you have to harness this energy and you have to divide it evenly into certain ways. And it's just, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Bunkers indeed. Mm-hmm. The watches are my driving force. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I love collecting. I love talking about them. I work with them all the time. And what am I doing in my spare time? I'm talking about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is something that never ceases to amaze me, no matter how many times I've seen it. There's just something that pulls you in about mechanical ingenuity and fascination. And... I'm just so thankful to have had some time now to sit down and start sharing this and yeah. sharing this passion with other people yeah. and to build a, a brand that harnesses these beliefs and, and this further community. You know, it's yeah. really a great time to be in watchmaking and to be in watches in general because there's so many people making this push and so many media sources making this push, other podcasts, uh, and the brands in general encouraging this culture and the culture is growing and I'm happy to be a part of that growth. Oh, absolutely. And you meet anybody who's into watches, the the, the same reasons that they're into watches, they're usually into cars or jewelry or just craftsmen, just making something well in a lot of other ways or like aesthetics or style, certain things like that, or history and stories with like, who owned this watch? What was the story with that? What did these scratches, what are these marks and everything? What stories did they tell? Matt Rainick, a man and his watch. Yes. Oh my God. Fantastic. Also, anything that you can, any, any, any means that you can watch him talk, he's, he's fantastic. He's definitely... Uh, deeply rooted in the emotional and the storied history, or at least the stories that involve between watches and their owners. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So you and I both have spent a lot of time and have a large fascination and uh, a lot of gratitude for all that Hadinki has contributed to this culture. Absolutely. And the, the culture that they've been able to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not spoken with any member of their team. but Neither have I. I'm fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. I think they do incredible work. Mm-hmm. And they've inspired me to delve into this work myself. Yeah. <laughs> I think they are the leaders in this. And I'm really fascinated by everything they offer and the community they've created. And I'm thankful because I hold them responsible for bringing those who maybe had no cultural awareness of watchmaking as a lifestyle yeah. to making it more pop culture. And it's just yeah. amazing to see, and uh, I'm really thankful for their work, and I hope uh, eventually to collaborate with them. Uh, that would be would super. That would be fantastic. Because yeah. I think we offer a unique niche in that yeah. none of them are classically trained watchmakers. Yeah. 
Yeah, we are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> and that might be valuable. <clears throat> yeah, since I think we're so. talking about watches. <laughs> right. I, I do think hearing straight from watchmakers is, is, is a rarity. There was the one podcast that had you know who, and, and uh, that is just uh, started going again. Um, but centered on, I think, maybe not always that we're, it's, well, I guess I would say that this is filtered through the mind of watchmakers because we are watchmakers and that's, it's, well, there's a particular type of interest that we have in this that, you know, there's collecting cars and then there's we also are biased working on and them. we are vested. Right. We, <laughs> right. We delve into the deep crevices of, of, bad and of ugly watches. of the watches. Yeah, exactly. That you so adore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. And um, also, yeah, bringing about the perspective of, of going through of going through school because we we're not yet even watchmakers we specifically. Aren't. We aren't. Yet. Uh, we're not people who have been working we in the industry go, at all. But yeah, we're excited I think that to be the here. sooner that we can start having uh, a voice, talk, yeah, start talking about this, and like Hodinki did, where they they really brought about the internet presence on watchmaking and the culture, and that's. Not just something that you can have, but that there are other people that you want to talk to. And yes. you find these people, and they are so glad because there are not a lot of us. So we find somebody else who knows anything about, you know, let's say Etta or 64, and you're like, okay, you know, you need to talk to me because I need to have a lot that I need to get out of my system. We may not feel like that anymore necessarily because we're our class is one of 11. That's all we do. But we're always happy. 11 people. Well, but we always are Spending more happy. than 40 hours a week together. <laughs> and yeah. now outside of school. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. You know, I would say, I, I believe it was a Hidinki interview, the, specifically the episode uh, with Ted Gashu, oh, and he had made the comment, and this was the most relatable thing I could imagine, mm. that Hidinki's readers are really high-quality eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> and then he alluded to the fact that this community are high-quality people, because you don't get people in this who don't appreciate things. Yeah. If they don't appreciate or are fascinated by meticularity, right? Meticulousness. Is meticularity yeah. a word? Is a new word? Meticulousness. Then they aren't in the community. Right. And, uh, right. It takes that to, yeah. to be involved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially now, now that most watches will have, there's a means of seeing the engine that drives the watch now. And so the, it's not just about what does the watch look like, it's how it operates, what is it, you know, what does it look like on the back? Like it's, you know, don't show me anything unless it's, you know, some people beautiful. might just want to see something that's beautifully decorated as well. So now it's bringing in about the other, you know, the, under, the other side of, watch, uh, of watches being that the movements, how, how is it work, you know, what's involved in, in making that possible and, and the people that have the skills to, to make that happen. Who make that their their livelihood, their passion? And I'd like to touch on watchmaking for those who have heard of watchmakers or know what watchmakers are. There's an impression of what watchmakers are, and then there's the reality of what we are. And I think it's important, from our perspective, those who are students studying to be professional, competent watchmakers, that making is a little misleading. Traditionally, that's the term, but mm, today. Mm -hmm. We repair, we maintain well-made mechanical machines. Yes. And we're trained, yes, potentially to make it, but the reality is you don't manufacture a watch yourself from scratch. That's right. just not the way of the world today. Economically, it's like nearly <clears throat> impossible. Exactly. Now, the level of intervention we have is really brand dependent. 
sure. and it depends what brand you're working with. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to call the luxury market, the entry luxury market, anywhere from the five to ten thousand dollar range, which mm-hmm. is very typical of Rolex, Omega, yep. many known mm-hmm. brands that mm-hmm. are on many Henry, people's even wrists. Some JLC, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Those watches are maintained by us. And we're those in the jewelry stores maintaining these watches, ordering parts, mm-hmm. and knowing what's wrong to be able to be sure that it stays on your wrist for another mm-hmm. generation. Right. Yeah, seeing the characteristics and how this interesting little machine is working and being able to diagnose it without... I mean, that's and that's one of the things that they're, that they're wanting to make out of this is like, don't just take it all apart and clean it, replace a bunch of parts until it works. They want us to, to know truly what's likely, right, what is wrong, even really before we take it apart. Yes. You have to have a keen eye on that. And and, and, and understanding, really mm-hmm. comprehension and thorough yeah. understanding of mm-hmm. everything in this watch. And that's what we do. Uh, we are not a single person who from scratch creates a watch. That's mm-hmm. just not... A few are, but <laughs> that's really not how it works today. It's very Modern atypical. watchmakers, mm-hmm. very different, mm-hmm. um, with an intimate mechanical understanding. And yeah. it's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. As far as making, uh, the most that any of us will, might see is if we happen to get into restoration, which itself is a rare, a rarity in and of itself. And it, it's a, it seems to be, as, as much as we hear, to be a tough a tough thing to get into, or at least to maintain uh, a livelihood on. But so it might be like making parts, making replacement. Basically, if something's not available to be purchased either by the company, if they still exist, then we may have to make it. But that's still, that's going to be pretty rare. Exactly. Yeah. Working on modern pieces, yeah. uh, pieces made within the last 30 years. Yeah. Everything's available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a, a touch on um, who we are, our podcast. What we're hoping to do. What we aspire to do is to educate and inform those who are interested in watches about watch culture from a watchmaker's perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, as aspiring watchmakers, we're going through the militarization process of <laughs> civilian to watchmaker. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, we're hoping to document this experience for our own enjoyment and also for those who may be interested in becoming watchmakers because I would have really appreciated some documentation like this oh, all yeah. those years that I wanted to do this. Yeah, it's I'm one thing to here. even hear watchmakers, but to hear students. Yes. I think I think this is actually going to... I hope... Yeah, I hope that this is beneficial for sure. I would love this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been our first 30 minutes. I yeah. think uh, it's a good place to, to close. Absolutely. And uh, reflect on where we're taking this next. Uh, we hope to bring a website soon and um, some brand identity. Yeah. Uh, but again, my name is Mitchell Thompson. I'm Kyle Kenyon. And uh, we'll be back with more things about watches. All right. Sooner or later. Right. <laughs>